What's up, everyone? Welcome to the third interview that we're doing with TorontoGameDose.com. In case you've missed it, we used to do a podcast, and we got up to about 98 episodes or so. Decided to take a break from that and instead kind of do interviews with some developers or or people in the industry. So we talked to some uh, independent developer the first episode, and then a streamer uh, the second episode, and now we're back to an independent developer. Uh, Thank you for joining me, Dan Stopnicki. He's the Chief Innovation Officer at Seed Interactive, and you guys are just about to release um, Skies of Fury DX on the Switch. So thanks for uh, joining me. Thanks for having me. No problem. So we'll get into uh, Seed Interactive and Illumination Games, and you're kind of teasing at the like off the air like why there's two different companies or what have you but we'll talk a little bit about that but before we kind of do that why don't you just give a brief kind of intro about yourself like who you are what you do maybe and, and maybe some of the games that you kind of worked on even or or worked on or even played or, or what have you even before um when you guys started elimination games Sure. So I am um, somewhat of a jack of all trades. I was trained as a 3D artist in the late 90s. So I was working with um, 3D software. And it's actually my first jobs out of school were were working on kind of flash games and doing 3D content for them back when that was a thing and CD-ROMs were a thing. And um, ended up moving into visual effects for a while and then um, found myself running the um, game art and animation program at Seneca College probably about eight years ago. Um, so it was a bit of a homecoming for me um, to, to really what I started doing when I when I left school. Um, at that point, uh, we were working with, you know, Unreal Tournament 2004, which was, you know, a, a pretty sophisticated 3D engine at the time and far beyond anything I'd had direct experience with. But we have... Uh, awesome staff there and and we worked with some great students and so I kind of cultivated my skills and my interests from there and I thought you know what I'd love to to use some of this technology and potentially make games make interactive content make marketing applications and that was kind of the impetus for starting Seed Interactive so um, we formed that business about uh, four and a half years ago mm-hmm. and um, we I, I basically started shopping around this concept of um, hey you know we've got uh, a, a ton of great talent I've got fantastic students that are graduating from this program that are hungry for opportunities can we put it to work like I, I I couldn't figure I couldn't figure how to fund a game myself. So um, you know, we started exploring the opportunities of um, kind of doing mixed marketing, you know, sponsorship type stuff, um, and that's how we kind of ended up uh, carving out a little bit of um, of a niche in the in the game market. So um, our story is a little bit different. We um, we found funding to produce a lot of our of our projects. So I ended up kind of shifting from being a, a 3D artist on our first jobs to moving off more to kind of business development and marketing type stuff. And that's generally what I do now with the business. Mm-hmm. And so you got, so you started Illumination Games about four years ago and you mentioned some of these partnerships with marketing. So why don't, so now there's, there's kind of two companies at work here. There's Seed Interactive and Illumination Games, right? Um, that's right. And so, um, you know, as I was saying, you kind of told me a bit before the before we went on the air, but how come there's kind of two kind of companies that, um, at least to me, kind of look like they're the same sort of group of people? Yeah, so it's it's actually kind of like the old model. So, I mean, back in the day when you wanted to get a game made, you needed a publisher, and that was somebody who was going to put out the money to, to make the product, um, and then they'd find a development studio that would produce the game. 
and um, and then that publisher would be the ones that would box the stuff and distribute it and deal with all the marketing related costs and then you know ultimately take a big chunk of the profits um, so we we kind of looked at a, a similar model um, we had through kind of all of our um, outreach had connected to some national museums in Ottawa science and technology museum corporation that controls an aviation and space science and technology museum food and agriculture museum and um, they were really interested in the idea of modernizing the delivery of content in cultural settings. Uh, there, you know, it, it's tough to get people into into museums, and it's tough to connect a digital generation to some of that traditional stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough to pr- project Canadian content around the world. So they saw an opportunity um, to partner with us. So what we did is we we decided to co- essentially co-invest on these games to share the cost of production. Um, and share the profits. So we built a publishing house that we co-own with this organization to help um, make the costs more palatable to produce these products um, and to get them and, and ultimately to get them done. So all of the games that we've produced are inspired uh, and co-produced with one of those museums. So for example, the um, the game that we're going to talk about today, Skies of Fury, um, took place in, during a time called Bloody April in, in 1918. And all the aircraft that you're flying are historically accurate. Um, the narratives that you're experiencing, there's comic books that get unlocked within the, uh, within the larger experience are all um, produced and supported by genuine museum curators. So our games have kind of a cool little spin to them, which is that they're based often in, in genuine history, science, and fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm just <clears throat> looking at your games uh and you'll have to sorry you'll have to remind me because i see i remember your first game was ace academy but was it skies of fury or was it black flight it was actually black flight so our first game the idea that we were kind of inspired by was um it was it was 19 it was 2014 and it's 100 years since the start of the first world war in 1914 and we were looking at the uh the, like a band of brothers um, or Saving Private Ryan type experience where you, you watch those movies. I mean, Band of Brothers, I was like binge watching those. I, was, I loved it. But it was also really somber because I'm like, this this actually happened and is kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was a matter of like, could we capture that essence in a game where people are getting, you know, having a great time and enjoying a product, but also walking away feeling like they know more about history than they did when they started. So Black Flight was our attempt to bring the highest level, you know, console-like experience to mobile that we could. And that was kind of our first foray into mobile games. We're like, can, like how how high can we punch here? Like, what, what can we actually pull off based on the technologies and based on obviously our skill sets as a young studio? And um, it's still one of our most popular games. Um, and uh, I think it's just about to crest the uh, half million mark on uh, Android. So it's still kind of climbing and has a pretty steady following. And it's given us some of the best feedback we've had from users. Um, we really nailed a flight mechanic in that one that people enjoyed and found really, really uh, functioned well. And that was kind of um, 
as as I'll, I'll allude to later on, as Skies of Fury came out, one of the most challenging things to do on a mobile device where you you don't have a joystick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, uh, and, and it was also a, a great experience from us because we it, it almost killed us. <laughs> we way overscoped it. We had you know levels where you're attacking trains. We had levels where there's like escort missions. There was air combat, ground combat. There was ground vehicles, zeppelins, blimps. Uh, all, this just so much we threw at this thing, and then actually delivering on that was such a challenge for us. So. Um, it was a real trial by fire, but that was our that was our first game, and it and it came out uh, two years ago. Nice, and then uh, and like you said, it's still um, it's still being downloaded, still being played today, which is great. Is, uh, yeah. And so, I, I remember playing that one, and and we were kind of talking before too that we we met a few years ago, um, or at least I, I probably just like introduced myself because because you did a talk about just developing the game and and the partnership that you just kind of spoke about. Um, mm-hmm. And then I remember, I remember, I, I've written about B Odyssey and and Space Frontiers, Dawn of Mars. Like, we'll obviously get Disguise of Fury, but B Odyssey and Dawn of Mars are clearly like different kind of games. So, how did uh, was it just more partnerships with different museums and, and groups that kind of evolved with those games, or was it something that you guys wanted to do after kind of making Ace Academy, or, or how did how did those two kind of games um, well, come about? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there, we had we we've created a bit of um, noise in the cultural sector as being these guys who are gaining success where other developers have failed. So when you think about um, edutainment, you know, um, you kind of think about really crappy, you know games where you're walking around a dungeon and you meet this ogre and then he challenges you with math problems, you know, like <laughs> just, just like, you know, my worst nightmare. And so a lot of, a lot of uh, educational institutions have failed because they have not found the right mix of, of delivering content and, and creating play. And we felt that we could do a better job on it, really leaning more on the entertainment side and then soft serving the educational side. And it's like, it's kind of unfortunate that you know people don't want to like receive this heavy dose of of education but the upside is if you do it in the right manner people walk away with more knowledge about history or science or whatever it is that you want to do than than they would have otherwise and so we thought we had the right mix and um, because of our success you know we're at where we have about 2.5 million downloads across our four products uh, so we're whereas you know Museums are usually happy if they can get 10,000 downloads on any particular product. Um, so we're, we're blowing that away and, and it's created a bit of buzz. And so the other museums kind of in the, in the group started gaining interest. And from our perspective, what we decided to do was kind of cut our teeth and explore the mobile market by targeting the most profitable and downloaded game types that we think we could actually produce, which was kind of an action shooter in Black Flight, a kind of Clash of Clans real-time strategy game in Donna Mars mm-hmm. and a 2D side-scroller with B Odyssey. So we decided that by either way at the end of this journey, we're going to have built three different types of games and truly understand what it's like to deliver that content. So it was it was kind of like strategically designed to be a bit of um, like a, a training regiment for us into learning how to actually do this stuff. Nice. And then... Uh... Skies of Fury. So was Skies of Fury. Uh, so I remember playing all three of those. Was Skies of Fury the the fourth game? Skies of Fury was the fourth game. Yeah. So Black Flight did really well, and um, 
and we basically wanted to double down with it and decided to uh, reimagine it as Skies of Fury. Nice. And then that came out on, on mobile, and now you've decided to, well, obviously you decided before, but now you're releasing it on uh, Switch, your first console release as a studio, I believe, right? Yes. Uh, so how come, how come you guys chose Switch, um, and how come you guys ch- kind of chose Skies of Fury to kind of be that game to be your first like console game? So I kind of like to say it like Switch chose us. <laughs> um, so it's a it's you know the Switch is a walled garden. It came out. Um, the first thing that kind of dawned on us was that the, the challenges we've had on Skies of Fury on Black Flight were all related to control schema. You've got a plane that needs to move in three axes, and you have two control axes. It's mm-hmm. just there's no simple way to get around it. And so we had a lot of like initial feedback, massive complaints from users on Skies of Fury being like, your controls suck, everything's like wobbly and weird. And we kept releasing patches and trying to dial it in. And we kept kind of talking in the studio. We're like, if these guys would get uh, a joystick adapter, they'd be killing it with this game. But obviously, you know, that's just not the form factor of people, you know, on the bus with their, with their mobile device. So, um, although we supported a joystick, it just wasn't um, obviously going to be mass adopted. Mm-hmm. So we, um, so when the switch came out, we we immediately saw the opportunity there, and we looked at the um, the art style we had chosen for Skies of Fury. And Skies of Fury is doing about three times as well as Black Flight did. It's about to crest the one million uh, threshold on Android. So in in about half the time. Um, so it, it's done really well, and it's essentially, I mean, in many ways, the same game. In fact, it's a bit more of a stripped-down Black Flight. So what we decided to do with Skies of Fury was that um, the first and most most noticeable thing is the art style. Uh, we were, to, I was, I was at, I was in Ottawa. I was at a museum exhibit, and they were, they were. It was again related to the First World War. I was going to check it out, and what they did was. They actually created, they hired a comic book artist who created these comic book frames and the entire exhibit was framed in comic books. And, you know, there'd be a guy standing there and then he's holding a gun, but the real gun artifact was in a glass box in front of him. So they tied in comic books and real history and artifacts in this really dynamic way. And it kind of inspired us to make Sky's Fury like basically like a, a comic book style experience so all of the uh, skies are hand painted all of the aircrafts have you know a self shaded style and hand painted uh, textures and so the entire experience is kind of almost as if you're playing through a comic book story of the first world war so that style kind of resonated when we compared it to like a, the, the whole Nintendo look and feel we're like this is bright it's colorful it's catchy it's our most popular game so let's just apply and see if if we can get interest there. And so we applied and received kind of um, interest from Nintendo, who asked us to put a kind of a, a presentation together on what the game would do, how it function, what it would look like. Um, and we did, and and then we were approved. So we felt we were in on having you know a, a better processor, a stable known platform. Mobile's obviously you know incredibly hard to develop for across all of the different devices. So now we've got a chance of hitting a single device, nailing it. It's got a joystick, um, and it's also got a uh, a market where we can move towards a console you know 
pay-to-play model versus the freemium models of the mobile world, which is just such a tough place to make a living. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, I've been playing. I've been playing Sky's Fury DX. You guys were uh, kind enough to give me uh, a code. I'm not. I'm not super far. I'm like maybe. Uh, I was just playing before we kind of joined this conversation. Uh, I'm like maybe 70 percent through the first like chapter. Um, cool. But what you're saying, you know, rest assured, like I agree with. Like I, I remember playing. Certainly, I remember playing uh, Ace Academy Black Black Flight. I don't think I actually did play Skies of Fury on the mobile device, but I remember like playing with you know my thumbs trying to like maneuver this plane and it was just really really difficult like the the learning curve was steep and that's not really the case for the switch one like you said with the joysticks it's just like a lot easier and you guys have those missions where you kind of have to fly through the the rings and shoot the the targets yeah and i'm i'm trying to i'm i'm been meaning to download the game on ios to just to kind of compare, especially when I, uh, you know, I'm going to do like a review, um, and just fly, just like flying is just like way better. And plus, like you said, you guys went with like a more comic book look and, uh, I'm kind of just praising you what you, what you decided to do. But I agree with that decision because like, it's, it's a really like beautiful game, uh, playing on the screen. I haven't played on my TV yet. I've just been playing kind of portable, but when yeah. you get the um, when you get like the sun shining on you and stuff like that and flying through the clouds, it looks really really good. So, yeah, uh, we we actually put in nearly a year of work between the mobile game and the DX release. So everything got upgraded. Um, it'll be funny for you to go back and play the mobile version because you know even just the the light rays the light shafts you're talking about aren't there in mm-hmm. mobile. We just couldn't support it um, based on the fact that you know we're looking to hit much lower end devices. Um, so, uh, and then of course, just a matter of time, like it's another year of work into already a, a pretty solid base. So we've, we've had the opportunity to just iron this thing out and get the gameplay down to where we want it and get the art style really buttoned up and animations integrated and effects integrated. So, um, yeah, you're going to notice a big difference when you step up to DX. Yeah. And so we can, uh, let's, let's maybe just talk about the nitty gritty details a little bit. There's, uh, it looks like there's like kind of five chapters and you're playing like both sides. Um, yeah. and I think I said, so, I think I saw somewhere there was like a hundred missions total. Um, yeah. and you do, I haven't played this yet, but you, it looks like you have some multiplayer options there too. Yeah. Uh, is, is it like head to head or is there like some co-op stuff? It's both, actually. Oh, so, uh, so you've kind of got it, it, we, the co-op. We kind of call uh, survival mode. Yeah. So you basically you can hop in there up to four players, and we just hit you with waves of enemies, and you just try to survive as long as you can. Um, it's pretty brutal. Uh, we try to work on on balancing that. So you know we step up the difficulty so that it's not just like all of a sudden you're getting like creamed, but um, it does get pretty intense. Uh, that that was definitely one of the hardest parts of the game to build in terms of just hitting the limitations of the processor on on the switch and, and figuring out how many AI can we get out here? How many bullets can we track simultaneously? How many screens can we render? Uh, so optimization was uh, was really, really tricky to get to get this thing to run, um, which which in a, a multiplayer environment will do at 30 frames a second and 60 for the single player. And it's uh, it's local multiplayer only, right? That's right. Yeah, we looked at um, at supporting um, a network multiplayer or switch to switch multiplayer. Um, it's something we're interested in. Uh, we're we're kind of we want to see what the response is and what the and whether the audience demand is there. We've seen other games that have supported multiplayer and just had you know empty empty kind of forums and yeah. uh, 
we want to make sure that there's a solid base behind this game and that there's a good demand for people wanting to do that uh, before we before we invest in it. But you know what, Switch has done really well, which I haven't seen in the last few consoles. You know, because all of them have been supporting. Uh, network multiplayer and usually don't have a local multiplayer setting you know on a lot of playstation xbox games you know you want to play with a friend you both got to go home and hop online is that the switch has really returned the idea of kind of getting together around a console and and sitting on a couch and playing a game with somebody so we're pretty stoked to uh to integrate the the old school split screen stuff yeah that was such a pet that's like been such a pet peeve of of ours because my wife and i my wife likes to play games Mm -hmm. uh and we like to play games together and we I, we have a friend um, or a, a couple who are friends of ours who they ended up just getting two TVs, two Playstations, two PlayStation <laughs> Plus accounts to just play yeah. um, play with each other and 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 obviously it's like so two copies of each game and it's just like it just right. doubles the price and so anytime there's like split screen co op, uh, I'm, I'm like totally down with that or split screen multiplayer in, in any shape or form so. Yeah. Uh, I saw that it was an option. I haven't get, had a chance to check it out, but I'll certainly do that um, before the game releases. Uh, I should cool. say, actually, the game releases next week, April 12th, but we'll obviously talk more about that. Um, yeah. And then it it has... Uh, what what I uh, was a little surprised by, pleasantly, is that there's a little like RPG uh, bit to it as well, where... You kind of have you kind of had the Overwatch thing going with like a special <laughs> move, uh, yeah. And then sort of like a border line, like obviously World of Warcraft and other places did it beforehand. But I'm yeah. when I see I, I see Borderlands where you kind of have the three tiers, and every yeah. time you level up, you you um, get like a few more perks. You increase your chance for critical hits, stuff like that. So, um, That's right. which is which is cool. Which adds a little bit more depth to the game. It does, and and you know you're you're calling out all the exact references that we looked at. So you know we basically integrated an ultimate into the game. Um, we thought it would be kind of a, a neat power up feature that adds some dynamics. I mean, what we looked at here in our you know this is our this is our third flight game. So we've we've had a chance to build this, build this again, and now build it a third time. And and we wanted to really nail the aspects of dogfighting and make that really the most intense and and exciting experience we could. Which is why. In Skies of Fury, we've removed all of the ground attack stuff. You're not shooting up trains and landing planes. It's really, this is a dogfighter. That's what this game's built to do. And so we, the first thing that we integrated, which we thought was a, was a lot of fun and added dynamic to the space, is clouds. Because, you know, you're basically in a void. There's no sense of speed when you're just in a volume. Mm-hmm. And you just need, it's just about who points their plane at the other one faster. So we use clouds basically as a level design tool. So the clouds are there. We've got the AI focused on kind of using the clouds as a cover mechanic and kind of staying within it. So they're hard to lure out of the out of the game space, and um, and you can use them as cover as well. So you hit into the clouds. Um, the AI will lose you in multiplayer. The crosshairs will disappear. You're not going to be able to chase the guy through that easily. And so we've used that to add a sense of environment and a sense of speed to the game. So that was kind of one of the first things that we looked at. Uh, Then we layered on the ultimate. um, And that idea is, again, you know, you get on a roll and you power up your plane. um, You can do some serious damage when you trigger that. So it's it's a lifesaver. It comes in, like, incredibly handy um, when you're just getting your butt kicked and you can get three planes on your screen at the same time. You can just take them all out in, like, 1.5 seconds. So it, it's a, it, it adds another kind of layer to it. 
and then you're accruing points. So we've got a whole system where you can decide how you want to delve those. And rather than the points being associated to the aircraft that you're flying, they're actually associated to the pilot. So they come with you as you level up through the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the other thing is there's, uh, there's loot boxes as well. You kind of unlock stuff. But is there, uh, you can't, do you, can you buy the loot box? Like, can you buy it with real yep. money or? No, I think that's the number one question we're being bumped. Everyone yeah. was like <laughs> horrified. They're like loot boxes. And I'm like, they're free. <laughs> so they're desi- you know, the design around that is we put a ton of extra content in this game. There's, there's custom skins, there's, there's power ups, there's uh, crosshairs, there's all sorts of stuff that you can earn. Um, and all of that is being is being accrued by basically points. You get points, and um, those points translate into loot boxes, and those loot boxes translate into more content. So, no, there's no microtransactions in the game. Uh, the loot boxes are a mechanic to just make it fun and exciting way to get extra swag and uh, enhance game content. It's funny because like loot boxes, maybe when did Overwatch come out? Like two years ago or so. We're yeah. such a like kind of big thing. People are like, "Oh, it's cosmetic. I don't mind that. It's fun." Blah blah blah. And then Star Wars Battlefront Two like really ruined what like loot boxes just with their like kind of like their greed really right. in terms of trying to get every nickel and dime out of out of a consumer. So yeah. I uh, yeah I, I I'm not surprised that everyone just like as soon as you see loot boxes you kind of associate it to like oh I have to now spend a dollar to unlock like five of these but. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I know I got the game early and I, I didn't see a way to buy it, but uh, I didn't know if it was just wasn't online. So that's good. It's confirmed. There's no microtransactions with the game. No <laughs> microtransactions. Yeah, I feel like I got to tweet that more often and just let everybody know because it seems to be like the knee jerk reaction when they see those are like, oh great, microtransactions. But no, there's there's none in the game and um, and the loot box is a lot of fun and. Uh, Add, add kind of a fun dimension to the game. We put we put a lot into the uh, into the skins, and you actually, if when you go to the uh, to the aircraft customizer, you you can scroll through them all. So you can even if you can't play with them yet, uh, you can just check out all the cool stuff we've done and some really beautiful art that some of the developers um, crafted for for the aircraft. Yeah, I know I've unlocked a few, and I usually just kind of go with whatever the the newest one is. That's not just uh, with your game. That's kind of with like all the games that have these sort of systems. I was just yep. whatever like the newest thing I get, I just kind of go with. Um, yep. But I know I've unlocked stuff with the the later um, planes that you unlock. I'm around level twenty, mid twenties, like twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Um, yep. So I, I know once I kind of unlock like those those beefier uh, planes later on, I got a bunch of stuff. So very cool. Uh, I, I am I am enjoying the game. Like I said, I'm only maybe probably a total of hour into the game, but. I am enjoying it quite a bit. The controls definitely made like a really positive jump from mobile to, to console. Um, nice. It's so the game's out April twelfth, I believe. That's right. Yeah, twelfth. Uh, it's out North America and Europe on the Switch. Uh, and I think I saw it was, you could pre-purchase it now. By the time this podcast is out, for most people, I'm going to post it on Monday. Um, yeah. In North America only. So the, oh. the pre-purchase is actually only running in North America. It'll okay. be available in. Europe. Yeah, on the twelfth, and the, I, it's like twenty five dollars Canadian, so I guess it's like nineteen ninety nine US. I'm guessing. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Um, so we've only been talking about a half hour, but we talked about kind of Sky's Fury and stuff. Let's talk about a little bit about yourself. Um, go a little bit more in depth. What kind of uh, what kind of gamer are you? Like some people are kind of like PC master race. Some people are mobile focused only. Um, yeah. What what uh, 
maybe maybe I'll just start. Maybe I'll just say like, ask what what are your kind of top three games of all time, or or maybe even recent. So yeah, well, I'm an old school gamer. I mean, my biggest heyday of gaming was back in the PC. I was a hardcore PC gamer. I still am. I, I love the PC, and uh, I've always thought it's a great platform for gaming. Um, and so, uh, it, but but you know, before the Switch, particular gaming is is a different experience on mobile. That's something you do on the subway, or you know, when you're watching TV, and then you know, you fire up a console, or you or you sit a PC, and it's a, it's a totally different experience. So, I kind of have different different types of games that I like to play in different spaces on mobile. I'm kind of going through a tycoon phase right now. Uh, Roller coaster tycoon being the number one thing that's o- occupying my subway rides. Nice. Um, so um, old again, it's old school kickback pixel art stuff, but I, I love it. And um, the uh, the tycoon games are a tough one again with monetization. They're they're you know the the free the freemium ones I find a little bit exhausting. Uh, so I love the fact that they created a, a just a game you could buy. I don't remember what I paid eight bucks or whatever, and and I could just enjoy it and um, not feel like I'm getting kind of ringed for change constantly while I'm playing it. So. Uh, that's been a lot of my mobile experience. I also play surprisingly, actually, some pretty decent flight simulators on mobile that that I've enjoyed um, in the last little while. So um, I've been I've been playing those. And then you know, uh, PlayStation wise, it's kind of like uh, probably Grand Theft Auto is still my favorite game ever. It's just just so much depth and so much fun to play. Um, I was playing Grand Theft Auto since uh, since the very first top-down release and played it right through to the, to the latest. And I'm just always so impressed with Rockstar and you know what they're able to do. Uh, the Red Dead Redemption series was awesome for me as well, and they're rebooting that with a uh, with a new game. So I'm looking forward. To, I'm wondering if it's going to actually make it to PS4. It's going to be like some PS5 thing, but. Red Dead and Grand Theft Auto. I'm definitely looking forward to. I, th- I think um, they said. Uh, I think Red Dead is this year, though. I'm yeah, just... actually, you're right. Yeah, Red Dead. I think is actually on the radar, so we might we might see that one sooner rather than later, which would be awesome. I mean, it's not uh, beyond Rockstar to push <laughs> push launch dates, but uh, it would be freaking awesome. I, I really enjoyed the last one, and um, they they just craft such such intricate and interesting. Uh, levels. I haven't had a chance to get into Far Cry 5, but I have a feeling it's just like right up my alley in the types of games I enjoy playing, which are kind of um, you know first-person shooters with, with with layering, you know, interesting story and side missions and depth and yeah. you know random things that you run into. Those you know, uh, I remember like even GTA the original when you would find these like berserk modes hidden away behind a car or in like some ice cream truck i'm like that's just cool you know there's just there's more to discover in this game and you land on cool stuff and and i've always really enjoyed that i always remember in gta 3 uh because i played i played one and two but very um very little like i i I would really only put in the codes to just like get a tank and then just drive around and cause shit and then just log off it's fun that's good times (laughs) um but three i remember you could like you would just it was it it obviously like so much has been said about that game it just blew up everything but i remember yeah. like one of those random moments when you kind of just get into a car and then all of a sudden a mission kicks in and you're driving the rc like an explosive rc yeah that's awesome. just like what is this is like a whole side mission that you know like existed i picked it up on um i picked it up on ps4 because it's like for 10 bucks or something like that 
Yeah. Sadly, the game doesn't really hold up as well. It's like super foggy and choppy. And, oh, really? And and yeah, it's so weird to look back at games. I know some games like hold up really really well, and other games you're just you're just like wow, like like I played hours and hours of GTA three, like an insane amount of hours. Not even just me playing, but like my friends would come over and we would just cause havoc and shit like that. And, and I feel uh, like. I feel like GTA Five does actually still hold up, though. Like when I fire that game up, I'm like, you know what? It's still got it. It does, yeah. I pl- uh, I played still a little bit here and there, just the online portion with my friend. I have a friend who's just like heavily invested in GTA Online. Like he's bought shark cards. He's he has like his whole mansion and base operations and stuff like that. And I usually just kind of truck along with them. So um, that's like one of his like one of his favorite games as well. So kind of made me you know maybe chuckle because I, I do play a little bit gta but i'm not as hardcore as like some of these kind of other people and you're mentioning roller coaster tycoon too and I, I played a lot of that first game on pc that was probably i'm not much of a pc gamer but that was like one of the biggest like piece that are what i'm trying to say the the one of the last pc games that i really like really got into um yeah and they re- yeah they released the classic version on on ios so yeah <clears throat> good times um Perfect. Actually, uh, that and that kind of remind me of another something I should have asked about Skies of Fury. It's coming out on Switch. Uh, do you have plans for like PS4, Xbox One, PC, anything like that, or do you think you'll keep on Switch or not ready to say? Or we're not we're not entirely sure. You know, um, right now our direction is really Switch focused. Um, we're excited by kind of the exclusiveness of the market, and we think we can really deliver um, games that that add value. Uh, Skies of Fury is basically the first 3D air combat game on the Switch, and I think there's only one other 3D flying game at all available for the for the platform right now. So it's such a different world, you know. When you're like, we can be the first with with a genre, mm-hmm. and that's not an opportunity that comes by very frequently. So our head right now is 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 really launch this game and get working on our on the next title you know it's so so we definitely have a kind of a, a switch focus right now but if if it's well received you know we're new to the console world we want to know if the last year of work and upgrading a, a kind of an indie mobile game to a console like experience um is is well received then it's definitely going to be something that we're going to consider Kind of moving forward into the broader console market. Hopefully for us, this is this is you know after three years of work, um, the shift from a small indie mobile developer to a kind of proper console level producer. Yeah, was that was that a concern um, when you kind of you're making these mobile games and they're they're free to play, um, and then you're jumping now to something that. Uh, is no longer free to play. It's you're, you're asking for you know twenty dollars up front or what have you. Was that a concern in terms of just the design of the it was, game? Yeah. yeah, I mean that was the ultimate concern. I mean we're sitting there and we we want to take a game that was available for free, um, and then to, to to a point. I mean there was there was a, a, a freemium model in there, but I mean you could at yeah. least try it for free, um, and then um, essentially charge somebody $20 for it. So we, we, we had to make sure that the game was had $20 worth of value put into it. So we literally put an, a year, almost a year of additional production. So the first game took us uh, 11 months to produce, and then we put another nine months into the Switch DX version of it. So we've almost put as much time as it took us to produce the game in the first place. 
into stepping up this experience so that when people walk away from it that they feel like they got great value for their for their money perfect um awesome i uh what what kind of i mean we're, we're just i think we kind of focused every, or i think we got everything we wanted to say about sky's fury was there any kind of like last little um things you want to say like like i like i said before i'll remind everyone comes out April 12th on Switch. Uh, it's $19 US, so con- whatever conversion you got going there. Um, and like you said, it's the very, it's kind of the first 3D flyer. What did, what did, you said, well, it's the, you said there was like another 3D flyer, but it's not like a dogfighting one. I can't actually think of the, the game. Or uh, it, Yeah, the name, the name eludes me right now. It was, um, it was kind of a, a just like flight simmy type experience where you could fly from island to island. I think oh, it was kind of like, uh, a little mobile experiment type game, but it robbed us of the ability to say it was the first, you know, 3D flight game on the Switch, which we almost were. But we are the uh, the first air combat game on the Switch. There you go. So you got you got ahead of uh, Star Star Fox, really. Yeah, you know, and actually, Star Fox was also a little bit of uh, of an you know, there was a couple other games that really inspired. Star Fox was definitely something that we looked at as a, as an influence uh, on just a game that everyone in the studio agreed was awesome and and really had a had a great vibe to its to its combat. And actually, Pilot Wings, which was one of the uh, first uh, Super Nintendo games that that really caught my eye. Um, I loved it, and um, that worked. You know, the levels you were playing through the rings and shooting targets, and a lot of the kind of bright colors um, were inspired by our old Pilot Wings days. And it's funny because we're we're watching the YouTube channels and and people's feedback, and uh, a lot of other people are kind of picking up on those references. And I'm seeing Star Fox pop up in there, and Crimson Skies, and um, and Pilot Wings, and those were all kind of. Uh, the inspiration, a lot of the Nintendo games that we love that, that inspired us to, to make skies of fury. Yes. Yeah. And we, uh, actually, I was just having this conversation with a, with a, a fan on our discord server, which everyone yeah. is welcome to join by the way, um, about just exclusives on switch, like the more than on PS4. And I think it started on Xbox one or Xbox 360 with the, the indie series that they did, but it's now kind of moved to switch where like an exclusive on switch those fans, they just gravitate to those games. They really just like hold on to them, and they and they treat it as their own. And they're kind of like they're happy that you know this game is only on the Switch. Um, you kind of saw it with like I don't know if you played Golf Story, where mm-hmm. um, it was like a very cute little kind of over the top or, or sorry um, camera like on the top uh, golf game with with a cute little story behind it and pretty simple mechanics, but very adorable. And yeah. the re- the subreddit, like Nintendo Switch, Switch subreddit, like blew up on the game just because it was exclusive to the game. It was kind of came out of nowhere. It was very surprised. So I, I'm kind of seeing that for Skies of Fury, and I hope I hope that success follows you guys because you guys are exclusive. Like you said, it's one of the first uh, it's the first dog fighting uh, flying game on on the system. We'll say, um, yeah. and and it being exclusive, like what we were saying is like. Maybe this—I won't mention the game—but maybe this one particular game in particular would have done better if it had just came out on Switch instead of mm-hmm. you know the Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And I forget the—I um, forget the game, but there was some article that uh, a developer wrote where they said basically that designing or creating a game for all four systems, you know, the three consoles and PC, yeah. um, like killed them, and it would have mm-hmm. been much better if they had just kind of said this is only coming out on PS4 or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I find it really interesting that the out of all the consoles that the Nintendo console is now kind of 
becoming the place for indie development, which it was it was the exact opposite. I mean, Nintendo was wouldn't touch this stuff. And now it's really like kind of what makes the Switch so cool is the diversity of games and the creativity that's coming out of the thing. And it's being led largely by independent little developers. Mm -hmm. So I just find it really ironic that it'd be Nintendo out of all of the uh, consoles that would be kind of pioneering that and that the Switch would be a place where that would happen. And it's funny because when I, I remember when I was talking to the Runbo guys, 13M Games, and they're releasing Runbo in Japan. Mm-hmm. To release a, a game in Japan on the Wii U, you still need a publisher, right. even if it was just like a little independent game. And yeah. and I remember just thinking, like, man, Nintendo still doesn't get it. Like, that's mm-hmm. sort of why this whole uh, industry of just independent developers is just blown up because you don't need the the publishers to kind of you know, release the game for you and, and take out like, you know, a large chunk of the profits, as you mentioned earlier. Um, well, if, if it's to, to Nintendo's credit um, and having looked through the development process on the Wii U, hmm. uh, comparing it to what we've gone through on, on the Switch, I can tell you that Nintendo's put a lot of elbow grease into making this a smooth process. They're incredibly responsive and the, uh, the web portals and all of that stuff are are far more advanced than what they had in their last generation, and it's made it just made our lives a lot easier to actually get this stuff, you know, set up and running on on the device. Yeah, and I think they knew, like they they knew that they had a port, like the I, I remember, um, I remember I wanted to uh, man, I got to find the article, but I remember reading somewhere that like most people are actually playing the Switch portable. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously it has the dock thing, but maybe that was yeah. just like a during certain pe- time period or something like that. But they must have known that like that we will that they would get like some phone ports. Like there are kind of games like Severed is a good one from Drinkbox Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Started on the Vita, went to iOS and 3DS and stuff like that. But that game can't make it on the PS4 because you need like the touchscreen and the portability of it. And I think yeah. there's like a any uh, another touchscreen one like a music game so they must have known that there'd be kind of phone like people who developed on mobile uh, mobile kind of making the jump to switch Um, yeah and and i was surprised that they would be open to it and um i guess you know based on on that thinking they they realized that there's like a compatibility there mm -hmm. and um you know our goal in doing it was to make sure what 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 i think is going to sour the store is if people are not putting in the elbow grease to make sure that they're taking full advantage of the switch as a as a console and and really stepping up the game and the game experience if they're coming from mobile we felt a big responsibility to do that properly and to make sure that we we do the store you know justice and then also to do the the customers justice when they're when they're paying for something now that they would previously find for free on mobile so my hope is that nintendo just stays kind of um particular about about who they welcome on there and and just keep the store quality up because you know right now we're there's there's most of the stuff on there is really fantastic and I'd love it. I love that it's open, but I'd love it to remain kind of a nicely curated place where you know that you're getting a quality product. Yeah, and that's what happened with like the Wii, right? There was so much shovelware that right. um, that that just kind of came out on the Wii. Um, and I hear similar things for Steam too. Like it's just uh, there's a lot of games that are on Steam and and more games kind of being released every single year. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Dan, that was great. Uh, is there any kind of final thoughts you had or anything like that? Uh, or any any other final talking points that I might have missed about Sky's Fury or, or your past or anything like that? 
No, I mean the uh, the a couple things I wanted to point out about the game that uh, just so that people are aware, um, we created a an interesting relationship with uh, the two sides, the British and the Germans. So there's there's no kind of good guy and bad guy in this game. It's a little bit of a different look at at history, which you know obviously if you if you weren't on the Allies side, you'd you'd see things differently. So what we did in this game is is you actually play through both as a British player and a German player in order to beat through beat the levels. You've got actually should play both. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the aircraft have different handling mechanics, and again, that was all inspired by real history. So the German aircrafts, uh, which which tended to be kind of faster and deadlier, are that in the game. Uh, and the you know, so you're going to find different mechanic whether you're playing as British and German. You're going to need different strategies while you're playing the game as British and German. Um, and so that that was kind of a neat key feature that we added to it. Um, but other than that, you know, our our big thing is is we love to hear back. We love feedback. We love tweets. We love to hear how people are kind of experiencing the product, their ideas, their recommendations. So don't be shy. Definitely tweet us. Reach out to us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, because all of that's incredibly valuable for us as we as we kind of try to build products that fit a niche and ultimately are fun to play. Awesome. You just made me think of another question. I apologize if uh, if I haven't. If, if, if it's obvious, I just didn't notice it, but is there real, um, I, I know you mentioned like the real kind of setting and, and the planes and whatnot, but what about the, the people, um, like the, the actual pilots, are, are you allowed to use the real names or are, are you using them or? How so that- we've, we've got a long history with that. So in black flight, we do use the real names. We actually, through the museum, um, got the rights through the families to use the names of real pilots. So Black Flight uh, actually allows you to play through real history with the names of real pilots. Um, so yeah, we do have access to that. For Skies of Fury, uh, we were inspired by real pilots and real stories, but we created a bit more of a composite. Um, what we want to tell in terms of the story of First World War Aviation is to, to not talk about so much the the common, like, you know, the Red Baron and Billy Bishop and the the names everyone knows, the kind of hero worship and mm. and talk a little bit more about the everyday person because there was literally thousands of unnamed, forgotten pilots uh, and soldiers that fought in these wars. And our games are kind of a tribute to them, a tribute to, you know, the other guys, not the heroes. Yeah. And so we've kind of tried to build out some of those composites and that's kind of the underlying story that you'll discover is you kind of unlock the comics and, and you'll, you, there, there is some real names and some real people in there and, and all of it based on, on real historical events. Awesome. Yeah. I, I asked because uh, I'm from Owen sound, which is where Billy Bishop is from. And yeah. he's the, the hero kind of growing up. Like we went to his house and as a kid and, and stuff like that. So, um, that's why that's why I asked because it, it made me think of that. But very cool because yeah, there's the there's the forgotten soldier um, gravestone that is supposed to represent kind of all the forgotten heroes that were in the war, not just the people, not just the names and stuff that everyone kind of knows. So awesome! Um, once again, Skies of Fury DX comes out on Nintendo Switch April twelfth. Uh, it'll be out. Uh, you know, or sorry, the, it'll be for twenty dollars uh, US, which you know, convert it to wherever you're located. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for, for joining me. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. I enjoyed it. And, uh, if anyone, if you have any feedback or anything like that, make sure you hit up like on the subreddit or, or you can, uh, always follow illumination games, uh, on Twitter at, uh, I L L U M underscore games. So Illum games. And, uh, thanks again, Dan. Thanks, Stephen.